Warning. 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 Trigger alert. She about to say some real shit. Spaghetti. I'm rolling like... Bowling. <laughs> I could do this all day, honey. That's good. Did you know um, my kid it, it tells me he's an aspiring rapper? <laughs> so we are working out like different, you know, rhyme sequences constantly. That's good. Yeah, I get that. It's got to get that brain working fast, man. I mean, that's a skill set. It's a skill set. His dad is a is a yeah, is a low key freestyle king. Yeah, I've never heard him freestyle. Yeah, he's good. I mean, I know you've said that before. Yeah, I can, you know. Tell him to revive it. I know. Revive his career. I was thinking we could be like the Partridge family. (laughs) (laughs) The three of us. I'll be obviously the tambourine girl. I mean, (laughs) wasn't the mom the tambourine lady? You could just be like a spice girl. (laughs) I'm just the dancer. I'll just the background dancer while they freestyle. They could like battle rap. Don't you think? Okay, so listen. (laughs) <laughs> yes, I say yes to all of it. I mean, yeah, no, there, it's definitely a traveling a traveling show <laughs> at some point, right? When he improves a little bit better. Yeah, you might have to travel. <laughs> I'm driving the I'm driving the airstream, time. obviously. <laughs> I'm like the tour manager driver. <laughs> Security. <laughs> totally. Um Oh my God, it's New Year's Day. Can you believe it? Happy you're, New Year. Are you listening to this on New Year's Day? No, you're listening to it on probably the day after New Year's with a hangover. Where at work? And New Year's Day is your hangover day, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. New Year's Day so, is your hangover day. So if you're hungover today, listening to us, ha- good welcome, on Welcome to 2020, baby. Good on you. This is going to be the year. This is our year. Baby. Gang, this is our year. <laughs> All right? We're going places. Either way. <laughs> We may be going to France or Denmark. I don't know, but Our, we're going places for sure. And let's make this year, let's make it count. For real. Let's make it count, team. Come on. 2020. 2020, got to, got to have the vision. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> Get down with the vision, yo. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Speaking of vision. Vision. Oh yeah, and speaking so of vision guy, and 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 visionaries, this guy today, Hugo, had was a real visionary, right? I mean, oh, this guy, you know, oh, Hugo. <laughs> so, so our, I missed our, it. I missed this one. Yeah, Sorry. you were not, you were not here to um to sound engineer to chime and, in and chime in and tell you to shut up. Um, <laughs> I was, um, I think I was very, very respectful. No shut up was necessary. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But so Hugo Martinez is probably um, responsible for changing the trajectory of the way graffiti was perceived and now is perceived, like, early, in the early 70s. Wow. Anyway, when I met Hugo, 
a few months ago, I was asked to be in an art show, which is still going to be up until the end of February, uh, at the Martinez Gallery on Broadway and uh, I believe it's 135th Street. Um, you can Google it, martinezgallery.com. Um, but I'm in a show with all of my compatriots from the early nineties, the, the bombers. And, um, this is, you know, before the internet and a lot of these guys don't really get their debt due and their dap and they're really like owed a lot for changing again after the train stopped and we moved to the streets and we changed the way graffiti was written, like you know, every every generation has their little right. thing, right? So it's I was a big ha- transition, right? So I was happy to be in the show with my my peers, um, and I met Mr. Martinez, and I became very uh, very intrigued with him, and began uh, researching him because I was like, I have to have him on the on the podcast. He is so charming. I don't know. I I wouldn't mind doing a part two. You tell me what you think. Let's let's give a listen. Okay, so today we're here with the visionary Hugo Martinez. And let's just get right into it. Brad is not here today. How dare he? But that's okay. Hugo's here. Where are you from? Uh, a lot of different places. Where are you? Where were you born? I was born on Fiftieth Street, between uh, across the street from uh, what used to be Madison Square Garden. Oh, that's right. Um, then I moved. Around. And you moved where? Uh, every place. So every place in New York City, or every place like in the world? I think uh, Madison Street, uh, President Street. Uh, Teeman Place. So you're more of like Manhattan. Inter- you're a Manhattan boy. Intervale, Southern Boulevard. Oh, okay. All over, all all over the three boroughs, Puerto Rico, back and forth. Okay. We used to move all oh, the Hotel Nevada, the Alameda, the Beacon. So if you were going to say I'm from, I'm from New York City, I can't. but you would say I'm from New York. City. Oh yeah, from New York City, yeah, for sure. Um, and. Do you, have you ever felt like moving away from New York City? I mean, I know you, you spent some time in London, you spent some time in Puerto Rico, but do you always feel like drawn to New York? Uh, yeah, it's every place else is foreign. Yeah? Yeah. So, you became a philosophy and sociology student. No, that's not true. So... Tell me, tell me about um, your your childhood, and then moving into college a little bit. We used to move around a lot. Like every three months, my parents would fight, and then my mother was independent, and she had her own. I mean, she was a um, bilingual secretary, so she could get a job any place at that time, and she would. Just pack up and leave. Pack up and leave, or throw my old man out, et cetera. And we would move to another place. So I grew up all over the place. Nomadic. Yeah, very. And then we ended up in Queens. Was was that a very uncomfortable thing for you as a kid, or was it just like kind of like. Well, you couldn't make friends. 
Right, right because, because you would ha- you'd leave. It wouldn't get deep, you know. Right. Like, you know. Yeah. Plus, I was an only child. Okay. So, like that, and at that time in the fifties, growing up in the fifties, being Puerto Rico was really kind of like alien already. So there was a lot of alienation. In in what respect? Um, everything you saw on TV was um, white. Not even white. It was like insipid or sterile or okay. You know, there was cool stuff. I mean, the kids' stuff was great. I used to watch TV all the time. Um, maybe ten hours a day. So I grew up on cartoons and and B movies. I guess that influenced my taste. Right. And my my mother was really into uh, culture. She really liked music, especially in dancing. So I guess that that that's where my frame of reference comes from to aesthetics. Um. Well, yes. It, it, I mean, graffiti is highly uh, influenced by comic book and cartoon art. A hundred percent. I mean, I. I feel. Like. I would say American art is right, unless it's you know like prior to nineteen fifty, all of the American art was essentially European influenced. Correct. And then you know there was a whole different kind of thing going on, but that was considered outsider or folk art or something. Right. So now you're a teenager. You've been moving around, and you're ready to start college. What was your thought process and what were your interests i was lucky it was the first year of open open admissions so because i had it took me five years to graduate high school i went to brandeis i graduated with a 65 average so just barely but because of open admissions i was able to go to manhattan community college and then i got involved in politics or gangs organizing gangs i led a student strike or i was part of a student strike that closed down Queens College, they closed down Manhattan College, uh, Manhattan, Borough of Manhattan Community College, and City College. So, you know, I was an activist and made student unions um, at those three places or was involved in the student unions. Then I went on to working with gangs in the in So were you yourself involved in a gang? No. I like the structure of the... the kind of the, the protection of the a, a culture. They had their own culture. They had their own, um, what do you call it? Like um, discipline, code of ethics. Uh, Which weirdly like mimics sort of corporate uh, and business society in a, like a bizarre way, like in its own it, sort of like of natural. There was a little more culture to it. Well, yes, of course. Corporate culture is kind of, you know. Also very, very male. Um, As is the world. I mean, uh, no, I don't. I don't know the world, but it was male. Yeah, all of the all the gang leaders were men. The women. It was a. There was a strange kind of yeah. Like there was what I noticed in the 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 gangs in the seventies is that it was kind of mixed in with hippie stuff. So there was free love. There was smoking pot. No hard drugs. Um, the style was kind of rebellious the same way. So I, I used to think, because I was a hippie, 
and I used to think, well, the hippie movement died. But when I started looking at gangs and graffiti, I said, oh, shit, it's kind of become pop culture. So was there any formal uh, education curriculum about gangs going on in colleges in New York City? No, not at all. When I started working with Graf, the the head of the sociology department, I introduced it as a potential project to get credit for, and he he said, "What you're working on is is, is an exercise in cannibalism." Said, oh, okay. That's the end of sociology. So I stuck more to philosophy. Okay. It was less uh, restrictive. You know, there were constant ways of thinking about things differently. And so you sort of got introduced to the idea of graffiti through gang culture because gang culture was sort of activating using spray paint, putting up their gang names. I would say I first got into rock and roll and and that led led to wanting to know and experience and work with um, the masses or with popular culture. Okay. So, you started becoming very interested in graffiti. You're watching it sort of like sprout up around you. And this is in the early 70s where it changed from putting up gang names to a more personalized individual. I I don't think there's a through line. You don't think there's a true line? A through line, no. A through line? Why? Because gangs were doing... They weren't, they weren't doing much graph. It was like a different, it was a different head. It was more um, tribal than graph was. But don't you think graffiti's so tribal? It's different. It doesn't, it doesn't, it's more of the, the tribe is more of an audience. And, and I, I guess they go out together, yeah, but it's not the same thing as a gang. Everybody stands up together. I don't know if I necessarily agree with you because I used to really argue like, this isn't gang stuff, but the more, the older I get, the more I realize it is gang culture. It doesn't quite have the same violent output, but it does. You know, there's there's an element Very of violence little. with graffiti. Very little. Compared to gangs. Compared to gangs, yeah. right. And gangs, and was like, like, if you talk to a president, like, like I, I worked with, I remember seeing, um, meeting the javelins, or bringing them, because what we did is, we got the all the warring gangs to come up to Queens College one summer. So the way we did it is we had them reverse their colors. And in one of the classes, I think we were, we were going to do um, door-to-door urine analysis in the South Bronx. Looking for? Ty- typhoid, yellow okay. fever, okay. whatever. So, And the concept was that because the gangs are so disciplined and cultured and um, focused that maybe we can use that, rechannel it into some kind of good for the community. So, uh, and, I, and I remember the, my assistant or my colleague said, okay, let's go to the next class. And nobody stood up. I said, oh, shit. So I, I, I went to, I looked at the president of, and I said, Smiley, can we go to the next class? He stood up. Everybody stood up with him at the same time. That doesn't exist in graph. That kind of 
fascist. Well, yes, because it's it's an egocentric um, assertion. You know what I mean? It's not about the good of the gang. Correct. It's about me. Correct. <laughs> right. Okay. That's why it's not a gang. For right. Me. Right, but there are this sort of like gang aspects to it. You could, but then if you, if you I go, think you have to you really be like direction. in it. You have, yeah. like when you're in it, like you can see it. But sort if of. you go in that direction, then you, you, you it's like you, you can compare baseball teams to graph, and it's. But you can't. But you can because they. It's like the aff, affiliate groups. Yeah, Republicans, Marxists. Sure, sure. Oh, like like a group of people is the earliest gang, right? <laughs> in you know, mm-hmm. and um. But I guess gang culture is specific to gang culture. But I I mean, in my opinion, my humble opinion, I believe that gang culture is the sort of like entree into writing graffiti. In the, the in in the infant stage of, of spray paint. I can tell you historically that, that um some of the uh, graphs started in Manhattan and New York. Um, and specifically Washington Heights. And the guys were mostly, like they were in the Savage Nomads or the Galaxies, but it was kind of like they were part-time that. You either were one or the other. You were a graph writer or you were a gang. In a sense, it was like graph was an alternative to gangs. Right, and it was a more positive alternative. Well, yeah, unless you're a landlord. <laughs> um, but yet these graffiti writers it, during this time is very like tumultuous time like politically especially in New York City Correct. it's getting financial ruin like New York is fucked up in the early 70s it's still fucked up I mean it's still it's constantly fucked up I mean, your walk here, right? Like you're in a sort of ritzy neighborhood and there's homeless people just laying everywhere. And people just step over them like they're mm-hmm. trash in the street. No one cares. Mm-hmm. Um, these kids are really like looking for identity. And they use graffiti to sort of self-actualize. What do you think was missing from, was the gang too much about we and not enough about me? And that's why certain people sort of uh, went to graffiti because they can sort of perpetuate it themselves. They don't need uh, the leader's permission. They can sort of act freely instead of being part of this very... um, demanding and stringent uh, lifestyle of, you know, following uh, the rules of of a particular gang. I think it's interesting that that we're, in other words, if we're talking about, say, uh, Impressionist art in the 19, late 1800s, early 1900s, we wouldn't talk about the cadres or groups or political situation. Let me finish. Okay. Let me finish. So with graph, there's always kind of uh, you have to compare it to something else 
because I think there's a sense of inadequacy. But there's also a non-art aspect to graffiti on any on any on any art movement. But and you know, I remember I used to say when I was younger, I'm like, I'm not an artist. I'm a writer. I'm a graffiti writer. I'm not a graffiti artist. But yet, in fact, I was making art. Right. Um, but I think a, a lot of people don't self-identify as artists. They're vandals. They're making a name for th- themselves. And um, they're going to perpetuate their identity illegally. And as much as, you know, I'm in the thick of it, there are non-art aspects to graffiti. So as much as I do agree, it is the most... What does that mean, though? There's non-art aspects. There are people that don't consider themselves artists. Let's say they just do tags. Not saying their tag isn't a beautiful work of art, but they are out to like destroy, not destroy property per se. They are out to put their name everywhere, and you know, art doesn't have art doesn't have to be legal. Um, but in most cases, it was. Uh, you know, I, I, like I, I, used in, to, I used to think that, but then. If you look at, let's say, Modigliani's work, it was definitely illegal. You okay. know, it was like, you know, looking at nudes and using African art. And it was not, and not looking at nudes, you know, like an angel surrounded by, right. you know, cupids and all this other crap. It was straight up, this is, this is, and this is a woman. And not only that, but the, some of them, the vagina wasn't in the, the, wasn't in the right place. It was kind of like everything, was kind of wrong, mm-hmm. and I'm and I started thinking, you know, there must be something criminal about it. It was trickster. There's something, you know. Like why would he take his all his sculpture and dump it in the river? And you know, it was something Such deep wrong. as these artists. Wrong, Such yeah. Okay, so graffiti started in Washington Heights. Julio. Actually, actually, in uh, I think that's Inwood. Julio was from two hundred and fourth. Two hundred and fourth that, Street, that's right? Yeah, and around sixty six, something like that. No one knows who Julio is got, or where Julio. Like, what's uh, up? What's up with Julio two hundred four? There was somebody who knew him um, and who spoke out recently. They said he was Colombian. I always thought he was Puerto Rican, but he was. According to this, it, it seemed like a very credible source. He said he was Colombian. And I met somebody else. Oh, he used to have a writing partner. I think it was Tony 204, Tony 207. I met him, but he wasn't willing to talk, so I never got close to Julio. I never got to meet him. So now you're in college. You're working um, sort of... Not on your curriculum, but on uh, activism and graffiti piques your interest. Like, what What was it? So I was in a class, um, a two-dimensional art class, just because, you know, I needed credits. And it seemed like a, you know. Easy, dumb, a, easy. Yeah, like a dumb, <laughs> dumb fuck thing to do. So I'm sitting in the class and everybody's talking about it, doing different things. And the professor mentioned, well, you know, why doesn't somebody do something on graffiti? I had no, no interest whatsoever. And then he mentioned it again, 
about a week later, and one of the one of the kids says, "Oh, my father's a yard master," and they they come in, and they go through the they jump the fences or something, at two o seven Street, the yard up there, and uh, and I still it didn't, and then he says, uh, "Yeah, they, there's some some of them are Puerto Rican, most of them are Puerto Ricans, Dominicans, Cubans." And Greeks and Irish. I said, well, what? Greeks and Irish with Puerto Ricans. Blacks and... That's not supposed to happen in New York. They're supposed to kill each other on sight, right? If anything. I said, oh, no, there's got to be something here. This, you know, something is going... Something is being resolved. So that's what attracted me to it. The unifying force of graffiti to sort of like go beyond... Yeah. Ra- race and religion yeah. and sort of have and, this common out human commonality and engagement even if it's hatred i mean a lot of the guys they or a lot of the writers they survive on hatred it's a it's a good replacement for love and bonding and all that right to go over each other's names the excitement all that other stuff there's a kind of it's attention it's love fest in right a way, right right hate so fest. hate and love are the same thing basically kinda, in graffiti yeah. kind of yeah um so that was so from like a philosophy sociological point of view it's very interesting to see youth that have really not much in common come from different neighborhoods now like sort of uh forming uh, uh friendships based around this illegal art yeah that has a lot to do with it for me okay was, you know that was important and uh, yeah, and that they were against private property. Well, that was I mean, that's to me that's elemental. Yeah, that, you know. it's sort of the m- most sort of important factor is that to me, to you, um, illegal graffiti beats a beautiful mural any day and my because of the heart that's involved in that and the risk and well one is one is uh decoration if you're going to enter into a collaboration with the landlord then it's you're decorating a space for the most part okay so now you're starting to go out and and seek out these these kids to figure out more and so what was your plan i don't have a plan so you didn't have a plan so when did like uga united oh, saw, graffiti I, art uh, what, I, what i did is i i used to live on 89th street um, east or west west side okay i think the i think the beastie boys came from that block too um and after seeing this thing at school i i remember passing by um the 91st street station on the train coming down from city college and I what got, year did that close? What the ninety-first Street? Station. Way before I was born, long time. So, I I got off I, from my house. I walked to the end of the station. I walked through the tunnel and I looked at. It. I was I was blown away. It was fantastic. It was, yeah, there's a secret subterranean life going no, on down the, here. The, the aesthetics. It was just okay. It was a lot of a lot of different. There was a lot of passion. And it was definitely style, you know, it's just that first thing. That was the first time I was, I was convinced that this was, uh, this was a 
much more interesting art form than what you'd see in museums because museums were now becoming like you know shopping centers or not so, but like uh, yeah like uh, amusement parks in what respect well they're all all of the museums all of the galleries dedicated to um engaging the rich in other well, words. aren't they still yeah yeah so and I, and that that function of going to a gallery and seeing works on the that somebody was uh, values and it's kind of like going to a cathedral okay so as opposed to that then here's the others that has it's window of shopping basically like you're just lo- you're look, exactly, look don't exactly. touch you can't own them. exactly and the okay. art and then and galleries which you see is you know the artists kneels and prays that some rich person is going to come and buy his work or her work and that's the function of galleries that they're essentially you know uh they sell they're the uh, middlemen they're merchants they're basically selling a product well worse than worse than that it, that's that's, that's the kind <laughs> the kind uh words right right because they yeah exactly they propagate this kind of relationship between the rich and you know, artists. So that's the function of it. They commodify it. So there's got to, there has to be a different function. And these kids were not interested in that function at all. They're interested in like getting to meet each other, you know, looking, admiring their work, having others admire their work. There was no, there was no marketing involved other than their own marketing. I remember going in 70, 73 or 72. I went to you know some shishi party, um, you know with the what they used to call the jet set, they were, you know like yeah, like 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 a Leonard Bernstein type of party, and I brought uh, SJK with me, and it was an hors d'oeuvre table, and uh, and he's looking, he says, "Can I eat? Can I eat that?" I said, "Of course." So he grabs a chair and he pulls it up to the hors d'oeuvre table. And, and he yeah. uses one of the plates as his plate. Right. And he pours on stuff. And he's sitting there eating at the hors d'oeuvre table. And I said, this, this is never going to work. You know, these are working class guys that don't fit into this, you know, bourgeois society that All right, they're going to walk the around with like a tiny porcelain plate. Yeah, exactly. With, uh... Exactly. Yeah, so, but I also noticed that women were talking to him. They kind of were endeared by that kind of naivete, you know. I said, oh. It's cute. It is, right? Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. So, at the same time, I was interested. I I also recognized that they were never going to be accepted by the art world unless they really, really did a whole. It's very difficult. It's like begging for crumbs. Like, forget it. No. How about no? That's right. That's exactly what it is. And it's, deme- it's demeaning. Yeah, it is. It's literally demeaning. Uh, yeah, I used to, in order to find out what the art world, because I, I wanted to open up a gallery in uh, Chelsea. So what I did is I, um, I invented a character. I already had a real estate license, but I invented a character where um, that would specialize in galleries, and I sent. At that point, everybody was in Soho, and I sent everybody a letter via fax in those days. Um, Soho was dead. And I had already done all my inventory in Chelsea, and I started to bring people up there. 
But I could have made more money outside of the gallery business uh, of real estate, selling buildings and all that okay. other stuff. But I needed to find out. I really wanted to find out what these people were like. You know, because they, they were always saying, oh, this person is nice, that artist is really nice, that gallerist is really nice. So by being the broker of, one of the, the brokers of galleries in the art world, they confide in you, like... Like in the like in the sixties, you would confide in your with your hairdresser if you're in Hollywood, right? And, okay. All right. So they would confide. They want the real estate broker to be to be really impressed with them, you know. So they're telling, you, and they they spill the beans. They're the most hateful low life people ever imaginable. They talk shit about each other all the time. Oh, of course. And and when it came to graph, it was like it was. They don't even think of it as, I mean, they just consider it something that's like filthy and, and, and low life. So, well, that also was being perpetuated by the media via the MTA that like graffiti uh. was the visible, like, uh, excuse for New York falling apart. You know, mm -hmm. they just sort of, um, really like burden the movement. With what else was going on in New York, which was, you know, disrepair and um, issues everywhere. And, you know, it was scapegoated on graffiti. Mm -hmm. um, no, but actually, the, the news was always trying to portray, like, they're always saying every sentence, every, every broadcast. And that's why I stopped doing broadcasts, because they're always... Doing two things. One of them. Well, they have their agenda. Well, they're always saying it. That, and now it's it's found in art galleries throughout the world, you know. And now they've made it in the art world. It's such total bullshit. It's like, you know, they were vandals, and now, you know, they're redeemed. And you didn't have to pay for it. It's all. It all happens. It's all. Now they're they're good people. It's just such crap. Or. They would try to focus on me as being the organizer or the founder of somehow these savages were discovered by this, you know, the sociology or philosophy. And now, you know, the, then the focus is no longer on the artist. It's supposed to be on me because I'm supposed to be the guy. So I always found that a bunch of twaddle, you know. You could never get them to just look at the art and say, well, this is, you know, this is really interesting art. What's going on? Let's look at the dynamics of it, how these people feel, what's your background, you know, questions that are you know, important. Like, why, Stitch, why did you paint? Oh, his, where's the name come from? Uh, oh, my mother was a seamstress and, you know, the mm -hmm. Stitch thing that was, oh, and, and I was, I loved it in Cuba. I didn't want to come here. I was, I was raised under the communist society, in communist society. None of those things were ever dealt into. It was always okay. These are the the, the, the street urchin. And, the, the these filthy right. and now they and now they're instantly redeemed. So the art. So the because everybody need, loves a simplistic fairy tale with a happy ending, and it just seemed like a neat little package to just correct. you know yeah, lop it right. Like, but um. Don't you sort of need that weird, simplistic narrative to introduce it to the culture at large that are not sort of like 
well versed in what art is or you know what I mean? Like the common that's the problem. If you is were, that, I, I would never worry about the culture at large. Why don't I give a fuck about them? Okay. You know, the masses the masses are so controlled by media, the masses are asses. Yeah. You know, so no, I'd rather stick stick with I'm I'm more So interested you'd rather be with the cultural elite. With the the ones who are the the vanguard, yeah. If they're, li- I was always interested in more interested in what change influencing the vanguard than anything else. Because if you influence the vanguard, right, then everything else follows. Right, they're the leaders. Correct. Um, they're the people that that actually make culture and right. change culture. And then grass starts popping up all over the city. Right. Like now, it's I can see it. It's getting hot. You know, stuff is going on. Um, well, graffiti now, here we are, right, 40, 50 years later, and graffiti is the, you know, the biggest art movement in the in the world, and it is from car advertising to makeup packaging, like, it's on everything. You want to urbanize something, you just add some sort of graffiti element well, some, to it. Something like graffiti. Is right, on, is I'm just on, saying, like, the, right. a representation of, it's. I'm sure it's fake graffiti. Right. Right, remember I gave you those markers? I found these markers in a 99 cent store. They said like graffiti markers. They were just highlighters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they look like little, like, but bad graffiti letters, bad art, but it was called like graffiti markers. And I just, you know, mm. it's interesting, though no real graffiti artist was involved in making that packaging, mm. um, that it still has appeal to like a regular. Marker manufacturer, that it's so big that it is used to sell magic markers legitimately, you know? I, um, we know I, we steal markers to write graffiti. Like, who's going to buy, like, a graffiti artist is going to buy graffiti markers? I don't think so. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. sometimes. Um, or hot. Um, yeah. I used to, I remember having to tell, I had to tell the city in order to protect the, the writers, that we were um, uh, no, that they were no longer painting on the streets. That was important, politi- I mean, politically, legally, because if I said, no, I love what they do on the street, then... They'd be watching you, and they'd, they'd be, be... They'd be after you, them. Right, you'd be oh, implicating yeah. so everybody. Okay. I, I had to do that. So then... Uh, but God, yeah, I'm interrupting you. No, 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 no. I want to hear. I want to hear your your thoughts on uh, on what you're saying. But we can go ahead. Um, so, what is your personal like philosophy about graffiti? And do you have one? Like, what do you tell this like upper crust uh, vanguard? crew of people that you're hanging out with in the infancy stage of legitimizing graffiti um you're asking them to look at it deeper right uh, but are they looking at it as like a group of artists or are you are you like s- focusing on specific artists for them to look at or was it just sort of like the the whole movement in general the way I, I pulled the guys together is to pick the ones that had the most originality. In, in those days, 
Yeah, there were there were some that weren't up as much as others, but they were considered like uh, mavens or uh, a fountainhead of talent. I would pick one of those. Pick a pick somebody who gets up a lot. Somebody, but always looking for someone who had different different style, an original style. The ones that did not get rid of eventually. And so, were you also attracted? Um, to this art form because there were so many Latin artists? I like the mix of all of the cultures. I always try to maintain a balance, even though I'm people, whatever. But I tried to, for example, in the first group, we had five Hispanics. By the end of the first year, five Hispanics, five blacks. It was even. Um... And then there was a Greek, and Tom was Italian. I'd say three to four that were, oh, Slim was Chinese, Pistol was Jewish. We try to get a kind of, because I felt that there would be more and then, tension and resolution. Um, and women, tried to get women in. And so what were there there were a lot of women participating in graffiti at that time. No, it was Barbara, Eva, who were like the kings. Yeah, they were they were everywhere. Fir- first level, first level. First level, top top tier. Top top like with Joe if you'd say Joe 182, Babyface 86, you'd say Barbara and Eva. Okay. Probably before them. Okay. Um there were other women writers but nobody that there was Charmin. There were some that said that, or will what about say. what about Cowboy? Who Cowboy? Never heard of it. What about uh, In the 70s, Rocky One Eighty Four? Rocky never painted grass. She painted maybe twice. She says she painted, but she never painted. She never painted shit. I was, I don't, I knew I was a kid. I knew Stitch. It was, I was there. So, so really, there's. You're saying there's really only like three. Too. Charmin, eh, a little bit. Oh, it was Barbara Neva. It was Barbara Neva. Yeah, because like, think about it. Working class women were, were they were so well. Yeah, res- I mean, restricted to having like baby I o- Right. I often think about why yeah. there, why women don't want to write graffiti, and there's, there's so many hurdles for them to jump over um, in the non graffiti sector. Correct. That like to bring it into the graffiti. Um, it just seems almost uh, impossible, but yeah. we can see it's not. <laughs> well, I, I was walking down a, down the street a few weeks ago, and I saw a woman, um, I'm 19, and she had friends with her that were, no, she was, yeah, she was more like 17. And her two friends were next to her, and she was pregnant. And it was like she was a queen, you know, like she they, they were all over her, you know. And I said, like, oh, shit, that's what... They're being fed that this is getting pregnant and having kids at 17 is actually considered like, you know, prestigious. It is until you have the baby. Yeah. (laughs) And then nobody like cares. They're like, okay, whatever. Yeah. So, wow. That's, I was like, hmm, how do you, how do you communicate with that? How do you? But don't you think globally, like that's what women were thought? 
taught or you know that's a, uh, yeah. and whether I think and that. that's where sort of um you know misogyny comes from is that you know women have the power to give life and that that is very threatening to a non-developed non-developed man it's exploitative it's obviously and it's oppressive as well yeah we i mean we know that um but it is a, a gift to be able to give life like that i mean so shouldn't she be exalted that in, yeah, a, in a way why, in yeah, a, yeah. like so it's like a complicated issue like don't exalt her because it's really gonna fuck your life up you're a teenager and yet you're making a human being inside of your body like do you understand there's like a there is there's a duality a polarization almost of your of your choice so say for example uh, what we've done now is put I wanted to put art and medicine together right so now how do you communicate to kids or to adolescents that having kids at 17 or 16 or 15 is has is problematic so they're I went, not. I went, dev- they're not. Their brain isn't ready to handle. It's right, too right. much responsibility. Right. So I went to the artist. So let's do a brochure that deals with this 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 subject. And one of the artists showed the woman as like this really cool figure, you know. And and I said, oh shit, of course. Instead of degrading. You know, say, oh, you can't, you can't do this. It's not good. It's uh, all that other, all that stuff. Instead, you like what you're saying, embrace it and say, okay, look, I know how you feel. This is, but then there's these other implications. So as opposed to saying don't or you know repress or suppress, you elevate that and then question it. You know, so. That's. I think that's the best. It's the approach. you have you have to elevate it and look at it as a, a miracle. Number one, imagine that that focus was given to these young women in other aspects of their life that they could. Now they can sort of control the situation. Hmm. They're being. Um, inducted into adulthood because no matter how old you are, when you become someone's mother, you're the adult, right? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. 
so let's talk about your uh, current gallery. I want to talk about all your galleries, but your current gallery <laughs> is also what we were just talking about is a is a pediatric. Uh, it's a family clinic. It's a fa- it's a family clinic. Yeah, I got the idea from. Uh, I was reading. I think I mentioned this to you. I was reading a biography of Einstein, and in, in it he said that at the highest level, art and science share the same language in terms of aesthetics, plasticity, and form. I'm not sure what plasticity is, but being able malleable, right? Oh, sort okay. of. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Being yeah. able to be manipulated. I'm, I'm assuming. Good, good. Okay. So I said, oh, well, then what happens? Do they, can they kind of intermesh? In other words, can intuition and science actually speak on the same level? Have a dialogue, maybe present solutions. So, and also, the again, I just mentioned to you, I hate the function of galleries and this whole the, all of the, the stuff that goes with it. So let's change the function of art. And how do you put art directly in touch with, in contact with the community and with, I mean, art is supposed to deal with problems and solutions. So let's see if it can help medicine. So I was talking to a doctor and I said, you know, what's the, why don't patients listen to the, to the doctors. And she said, more importantly, why don't doctors listen to their patients? <laughs> so I said, oh, okay. So then I said, maybe the, the artist can, and the art can help bridge that gap between the patient, the, the doctor, and the artist, maybe art in general. There's, there's a different function now. Oh, shit. Okay, then art can maybe begin to resolve problems other than just private property the problems with private property so that's that's where we're we're at now this is my my third experiment before i did what we did is we did one where we took a classroom in uh in a high school and we converted that into the whole place became a blackboard and doing it like it was like a mix of graph and education and the kids loved it. The mayor didn't love it. And who was the mayor at the time? Bloomberg. Oh, Bloomberg. And also because we did the opening at when he was going after charter school money. Oh, right. I, so I did it on. I specifically had the opening on that day, the okay. day that he was meeting with all these wealthy people that were going to try to buy our, our our educational system. But anyway, then I I did a we did one in the projects where we took a. Uh, uh, their budget was the city, New York Housing, has a budget of renovations between tenants. I think it's 19000 So we did it for 12000 We converted it into something that's really cool with art, with design, with architecture, within the budget of the New York City Housing Authority. So that pissed off the mayor again. Okay. And then we did another one. I forget what, what it's, it's, so it was like, I was looking for ways that we could do different shit and convert different spaces into a different function. So that ergo, we ended up with art and medicine. Does that explain it? Okay. Does that get, answer your question? Do you think that there, um, 
Do you think that this is a much different experience for the patients than if they were to go to like a more sterile environment? Well, for both parts. In other words, the artists now are, they see themselves in a kind of different function there. You know, the, right, they they're s- helping with he- in, in healthcare. Not only that, but they're also making new generations of graph writers. Okay. Right. Right. So, fans. Right. They're right? indoctrinating fans. Exactly. Okay. Which are then going to continue to disrespect private property, which is makes me feel just wonderful. I love that that function. There's now let also, me ask you something else, because you're involved. You were involved in real estate, and maybe still are. What do you feel like when one of your buildings that you're trying to sell or get partners in or rent or whatever? becomes defaced with something that you don't find necessarily aesthetically up your alley. Or that I don't find defacing. Um, Do you have any, you're uh, like, oh, it's just, you know, it's just the universe. Like, who cares? I stopped working in real estate. I did it to raise up money to open up galleries and to to promote the the movement. But I I knew it was, you know, I was working with, I was, I was working with the enemy I was, you know, right. Selling. You're, you're like, yeah. So I figured, steal from them and give it to the, to the writers. There's no other way I was going to make significant millions of dollars that I've spent, unless I went into real estate. But once I got into medicine, I just I left it. That was about twenty years ago. So, did you ever think about joining real estate with graffiti in a bigger sense that it was public and not necessarily you don't have to walk? through physical doors to enter this like art space to me you mean to make legal 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 sure sure legal um sanctioned graffiti i never, never liked the idea much but but yet indoors you don't mind it well as long as it's going to create more crime but is it necessarily uh, oh definitely so you think when that the guys when come, you're p- these kids that are viewing graffiti art mm-hmm. are going to like go on to like become criminals and that's a good thing. Yeah. Okay. In this society, I think we we're, we're I required mean, it's like to. our president's a criminal. Cri- yeah. I mean, we worship criminals in yeah. the, in American society, in a global society. Yeah, the only way to change a society is by doing that. Um in what respect? Only people that break the law change society. Okay. But it seems like our government just constantly breaks the law, and anybody who's sort of a bell ringer gets killed. Yeah, except that they've always broken the law, right? Right. Well, this whole country is, like, founded on... Slavery and all kinds right, of other right, shit. Right, right, right. So. On, uh, you know, dehumanizing people and murder and, you and know... And private... The most important thing is private property. Okay. Right? They privatized all of these, this whole continent. Right? right. They privatized the people. Um, what do you think about what's going on in New York City that it is sold on the open market, the open global market, and is not owned by actual Americans? And that there are so many foreign investors in this city. I don't know how many. I don't know. I, I don't think we know how many. A, a lot, like s- most area, of the this like area, yeah. But most you see a lot of. I I look at buildings a lot, you know, just because it's it's a it's a 
it's a way to kind of analyze the economy also because it's it's all in real estate whether things go up or down when you see all of these stores empty emptying out you on know it's a, it's a nightmare exactly so and most landlords are not mostly jewish the catholic church owns the most property uh Chinese some, own all China, of Chinese, uh, all of Forty Second Street yeah, some, and uh, the Do- Deutsch owns okay, a lot. Okay, there's a lot of it's mostly Jews. Forty Second is mostly Jews. Mostly Jews. Yeah, so most of, of and then who else is left? Uh, Italians, some um, Greeks. Greeks uh, more than you think. They're big on two story garages, but this whole thing that foreigners own that it's bullshit. Trust me, they own some, but not not like. Well, the, look at Columbia the, University; they own like well, Columbia tons and tons okay, and so tons. Columbia University, I watched it my with my very own eyes because I lived on 113th in Riverside in a rent-controlled apartment. Wow! Um, in the late 80s, was buying every goddamn building. It was the, the largest on Riverside in, in yeah. the in the late 80s, and just slowly just accruing mm-hmm. building after building until they own everything everything every like everything and or had an option that's the other thing because and then then there's eminent domain right they just took over 17 acres between 125th and 134th 135th they just took it 17 acres of the city how eminent domain so in in and how do you prove that how do you prove well, that this you, is your like your land? Well, the president graduated yeah. from Columbia, Barack Obama, and he said that when the when the landlords were that owned most of the property in that area went to federal court, Obama made called or made a comment the day before the the decision that you can't stop the wheels of progress. So that shows you exactly where the where um, where Colombia's how influential Colombia is. So, your first like big public display of graffiti, uh, sort of for the new viewing audience, was the Joffrey Ballet, correct? Uh, for the large, yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Uh, Unless you're going to count all of the news report stuff that happened before that. So tell me, tell me about that. Uh, everybody that started interviewing us. Uh, well, mid- it was exciting, to, and, and so New York, and yeah, you know what I mean. Exactly, mid-day. giving a, a different voice to yeah. to people that were voiceless. Yeah, we had uh, first articles. New York Times on December 8th, 1972. And then there was another one three days later. There was, there was, there was The Post was in there, 51st State, Channel 13. Then it was 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, Eyewitness News, Eyewitness News again, Midday Live. All these shows were, you know, were doing United Graffiti Artists. And then came Joffrey, and ah, it was a whole different... And I was much, he was the cover of New York Magazine and blah, blah, blah. And then, then came the exhibition in 73. So tell me, well, let's go back, let's go back to the, the ballet. 
Yeah. People were live painting. The artists were live painting on right. huge rolls of paper right. while the dancers danced and the orchestra played. Mm, the orchestra didn't play. It was music by the Beach Boys. It was music by the Beach Boys. Right. Okay. So, um, yeah, that was uh, Twyla Tharp. She, she approached us. And she wanted us, she wanted the guys just to paint the backdrop, and then somebody would come along and uh, roll over it. And I said, no, man, that's not acceptable. The guys don't want their work rolled over. So we, we negotiated for five performances or six performances where the rolls would roll up into the, into the ceiling or into the whatever they call that part okay. of the stage. And then at the end, they'd be rescued. So on the first performance, the guys were getting up on each other's shoulders, looking, looking at each other's work, painting on different surfaces, and while the dance was going on. Right? Mm -hmm. So, and then we got a call the next day that they can't do this. Oh, and then they sprayed the audience, uh -huh. and they danced at the for the bow. They got like I don't know, it was like eleven curtain calls. Or something. Okay, fantastic. Next day, I get a call. Uh, they don't want them climbing on each other. They don't want them moving around. They don't want them spraying the audience, etc. So it was already a problem dealing with the dance world. Well, I can't even imagine all those people not complaining about the smell. Because <laughs> nobody gave... Because they were like experienced real culture. Not only that, but you know, those, who, those days people didn't... Really think about, about yeah the okay. environment or getting poisons or anything. I okay, know, salitamide. The, you know they were, they didn't care about that shit. So we did the five performances, then, um, and the teamsters were up to they were up our asses all the time because you know they because they were a gang. They're graffiti. <laughs> you know, they, yeah, 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 yeah. So they got they they decided to do six more performances, but hired the new people from SVA. To do the next one, to do so, they said, "Fuck you, we don't need you. We'll just get SVA kids to paint the backdrop." Because I said, "You know, if you want six performances, you're going to have to pay them double or triple what you paid them. This is like the head of the season, right? It's, you know, we can't do it." So then the next that night, the kids from SVA came in. They said, "Fuck America." They wrote all this this stuff. The Teamsters refused to work the next day until we came back. Okay. So we got the extra They're like, fire. get these nice graffiti pieces. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So that's how that's how that went. And then it was like, you know. Yeah, so everybody was star for the first year or two years. Okay. And then it just, it died. For the next generation or the next, or the next four or five years. When the galleries picked it up. Okay. And, and then they invented what was already invented. Because we had gallery shows in '73, we had was it that was a huge show. They sold out. The guys sold out before we even opened. This is the one in Italy. No, this was in Razor Gallery in Soho. Oh, in, in Soho, okay. In 1973. And then you had um, a big show in Chicago. And tell me about it that. It was it was big, but it wasn't big. The '73 one in Soho that was a big show. Well, how was graffiti perceived in another urban Chicago? They, they didn't give it. They didn't know. They didn't like, know. Was there was like, so there was no sort of 
graffiti there. There's a big, big gang culture there, but they weren't spray painting there? There was only a big big gang culture there. There was a... We went... We were... In our neighborhood where we were staying at, it was the Black Peastone Nation. Then there was the Young Lords up up in... uh, Up by uh, Division Street. There was tons of gangs, but I remember the... The Black Peastone Nation, yeah. But there was no graph in the 70s, 74. So did did these writers now, being in another city, want to paint graffiti in a new location? Were they like, okay. Because I'd be like, okay, I'm in Chicago. I got to go bombing. Okay, bye. Not a a single time. They didn't. So they I, were I wanted really, them to, but they didn't. So, so th- they changed once they sort of became legitimized. Like quickly, they wanted to become artists. They viewed themselves differently. No, no it's just that you know it's scary. Chicago was scary. Okay. You know to go and paint uh, in right Chicago. in a foreign like foreign yeah, land. And then this guy, you know, this, right, but the Black Peaceful Nation like, closed Chicago down. They cl- they had twenty thousand members or something. They closed. The city down. They closed Lakeshore Drive down. It was you're not, you're not going to go over there and paint in their territory. Everything was so territorial. Daly had divided up the city into, with highways and everything, into the Polish neighborhood, the Irish neighborhood, the black neighborhood, all of that. So it was the most ghetto, segregated, right? Most segregated city imaginable. Right. The guys walked into a Polish neighborhood. And Coco was with them, and he was light-skinned Puerto Rican. And these kids came, said, what's a white boy doing with some niggers? Well, it was happened that Cat is Dominican and Stitch is Cuban, but for them, they were niggers. And Coco said, I'm not, a, I'm not a white boy, I'm Puerto Rican. And they had to run through railroad tracks, and they right. were going to get killed. Are you a, oh, niggers and spigs, perfect. It was like that. Right. So I can't blame them for not painting. Totally. And I mean, I remember the couple times I had gone to Chicago and I had hung out with graffiti writers. I was in a racially mixed group, which I'm used to being around, especially well, growing up in New York and writing graffiti. And they said, well, if it wasn't for graffiti, I would never have... A Mexican friend, I'd never have a black friend, I'd never have a this friend, I'd never have a white friend, whatever it was. And graffiti, to me, is this weird unifying force that sees no color. Isn't that, yeah, doesn't that go for all art movements? Does it go for all art movements? I think so, yeah. You think? Yeah, it wouldn't be, I mean, it's, movement is... You think the Impressionists were like, let's get some black guys in here? No, but do you know like, what I mean? Like, or the like, y- yes, I- in modern times, I think that possibly uh, there were transportation difficulties and people weren't quite as mixed. It was more ghettoized. I don't. Know. I don't know how different it was, say, for somebody Dutch to be hanging with somebody from you know Italy. There was probably, you know, those were very foreign countries to each other in those days. Sure. And there were big borders and big differences in governments and all of that. So I think that the movement, the, 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 that portion of the, of the, that aspect of, 
uh, previous. Cu- uh, you think like Cubism was inclusive? Yeah, of- there were a lot. You know, they of course they they had you know they would interact. Even I remember something that read Matisse and Picasso that Matisse would make sure that his best painting was facing the door just to be able to to irk Picasso to make him feel so inadequate that you know right. So there's a lot of interaction, I know, between all of these people. They'd meet, the surrealist would meet, situationists would do. Yeah. And graph writers are people, that's natural, you know, to look for that. All right, you have been accused by um, some, you know, former, I guess, business relations of being... Racist? Do I want to say that? Or maybe it's not racist. Maybe it's uh, no, it was pro. Racist. It was racist. It's racist, right? So, or actually, oh, I, I see. Because no, Hispanics are not a race. So well, they are, but the, oh, it's a nationality. It's a nationality. Um, you have been accused of excluding people because of their race, race, well, no, and or of, uh, oh, okay, um, of their upbringing let's just say let's call let's just be so super vague yeah I, I, yeah i've been accused of and a lot of stuff. that you have wanted to sort of perpetuate puerto rican artists in a much bigger way than black and or white artists first who, who is it that accused did you watch the wall riders no so it's a large group of people it's Mike one seventy one. All right, let's uh, now. I it's got it. Wicked Gary. I got a call. Okay, I got a call from um, from the studio where they were filming at. Well, actually, it started before that. Because they go on in the movie to say yeah, that yeah, they yeah. wanted to interview you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got a call from somebody. I think Sasha Jenkins or something. Send me an email, and I'd seen the work that he'd done before. I thought it was crap. So. And I said, and I knew it was coming from the director, whatever his name is. I, I forget his name. I honestly forget his name. So I said, uh, oh, and I didn't like his books. I saw his books. So the world of graffiti, women in graffiti. It was like this. It's Roger Na- Gassman. Yeah, it was like that National Geographic or something. It's circus-like. So I said, no, no. Uh, I. I I, I can summarize it by telling you go tell tell him to go fuck himself. Just you know, make make it clear. Primarily because I felt that he would be so full of himself that it would make him make all the wrong moves. Okay. Um, so I get a call from the studio. Uh, Joe says, "Yo, Ron, this guy's telling us to t- talk shit about you. Anything that you can do." I said, "Oh yeah." So what are you going to do, Joe? He says, I don't know. I guess I'll, I'll do it, but then I, I, I don't know. I talked to Kay. Kay told me the same thing. This guy wants to talk shit about you. I said, oh, yeah. What do you think? He said, I don't want to get involved in that shit. You know, I know what you did. I said, oh, okay. So well, then what happened in UGA is I try to keep this balance. But there was a point at which um, the – it was a – it was black nationalism was really strong mm-hmm. in the early seventies, and there was a feeling that um, 
blacks were the more, most important leftists or the most important culture. And they, in the voting and in selections, I always noticed that blacks stuck together and the Hispanics would vote for anybody. Okay. You know, they were like, oh, I, I like Raby. I like, he's, he's cool. They didn't care. So what happened then is UGA started to become more and more black because they were, in the voting, they were, they were solid as a constituency where the Hispanics didn't really care. I said, well, wait a minute, there's got to be more of a, a balance other than this. I, I want an even balance. I try to get more. Non Essentially, there were about 15. But in the voting process, they were put, bringing in people, the black members, as well as some of the Hispanic members, were bringing in people that were second rate. It's like, like W.G. was a second-rate artist. He wasn't like a tremendous graph writer. He was, you know, he, was W.G. That's what he did. And I, 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 I thought, well, that, that's wrong, man. He shouldn't do it. Or the Hispanics would bring in some friend or something, uh, whoever it was. I, I just I didn't like it. It, it. They weren't up enough. They weren't original enough. Or um, women. I'll bring in Stoney. Stoney was like really, really second, third rate writer who got on, didn't even write. And why? Because it's, oh, because she's, and one of the guys said, oh, because she's got a nice ass. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't cut it, you know? Right. So slowly, um, because it became, I was careful about keeping the balance. And I got rid of, well, Mike 171, we got rid of Mike and Henry because they were toys. Simple as that. Okay. They were just, they were toys. Um, and because they were, people were afraid of them. The Hispanics didn't want to get involved because they belonged to the galaxies. And the blacks didn't want to get involved with voting them out because they didn't want to be seen as being from the Bronx, which is the galaxy. So it, it ended up my being my just telling them that they're out. I couldn't expose my black members. Right, you weren't going to gonna pu- you weren't going to put this on the kids. You were going right. to right. So then they showed up at my place to bum rush me at the at UGA. They came about 25, 30 of them and just appeared and I said, "No." So then, "No, you can't. This is not your place." So and I was by myself. A day or two after that, then Henry came in and had, and I, they made sure that I was only with the black artists. Okay. So, because they were afraid that if they get involved with the Hispanics, they, they were members of the Savage Nomads. Right, that they would bring the neighborhood right. in. Okay. So then I'm stuck there with my black artists and the Hispanics coming in. And the first thing they did is they hit T-Rex. Then they hit phase and then meanwhile henry the real story is that henry's in the background yelling hit him hit him henry didn't hit anybody mike is outside because he's afraid he wasn't even in the space regardless of what the story was so and henry's yelling hit him hit him henry's puerto rican i'm puerto rican he's telling another puerto rican kid to hit me for some reason the bat breaks it's not because i'm strong or anything like that Although it could have been adrenaline, the bat breaks. I said, okay, let's sit down, let's talk. And what resulted was 
that they were able to have dances there and make some money. That was essentially, that was the deal I cut with them. But, so where does the racist, racism, the racist... Rhetoric. Uh, rhetoric come from? It comes from primarily from WG and from Bama. Those two guys. Then I asked Bama to, I said, Bama, what? No, man, I never said that. I said, I'll tell you what, why don't you put it in writing that you never said that? And let's put it out publicly, right? So that we can, you know, you can make, make good on your statement. He wrote it down. And then I said, you know, what the fuck do I need this for? You know? Right, you don't need to... I don't need to... to, Okay. You know, I don't need to... I don't need to do that. I I just... uh, Because essentially, you know, people are going to talk shit anyway. Who cares? You know? But a lot of the troubles came from these writers feeling that they weren't getting paid or they weren't being featured in the in the same that's way bullshit. that's bullshit i got them i got scholarships from pratt gave them to phase i gave it to bama i forget who else i think phase and bama two of the black artists um they never showed up huh they never showed up selling i never made a dime they kept all their money so, i mean i think i think they're you know, people don't understand how expensive it is to run something like this and have supplies that, like, the perception my to mother, a young... My mother paid for it. Right, to, like, a young kid thinking that their stuff is being sold. Yeah, they got kicked out. When the the, the ones that said that we're, they were we were making money, it was Mike, Henry, and... Uh, and uh, Mike, Henry, and Jack... They were saying that we were making money. But the guys who really were in there, who should have said something, they, they know that they... Because they had all the control. I'm, I made sure that they had a corporation called United Graffiti Writers, and they were the members and owners of United Graffiti Writers. I was not. Okay. That way, they can they had all the control over the checkbooks, etc. When the, the first exhibition, we sold out $18,000, right? Which was a lot of money in those days. And I didn't get a dime. The gallery got 10%. I negotiated the gallery for 10% instead of 50%. Okay. So that the kids could get the rest of the money. Right. So what happened is, you know, we're all sitting around there saying, uh, okay, like, you know, what's going to happen with the money? So they they voted for the president was phase two because phase was saying, yo, I'm going to take that money. I'm going to weigh myself a boom box, blah, 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 blah. And then they made, I think Coco was the vice president because Coco was not into that. He was like... I don't know yet, et cetera. So then I, I sat down with FaZe and Coco, and I said, look, you, you're going to split up the money. Yeah. Especially it was on, the, on, I think it was on the collective. That was $6,000. The rest they kept. So on the collective, we were going to split up the money. So I said, okay, so do you want any, shouldn't we buy it some markers first? Oh, yeah, yeah, markers. Okay. So I wrote that markers. So. What about spray? Yeah, spray. Okay. What about canvas? Yeah. What about gesso? What about this? What about this? when I when we finished the list? I said, "Okay, well, you got yeah." Like ex- here's a here's a quarter. Get out of here because this shit costs money. I, I said, "This eats up your whole budget." Right. So which is it? Are you going to stay together and be United Graffiti artists, or are you going to take the money and blow you know blow it? So that was how 
that was the first expenditure of money. But after that, all of the money went directly to the artists. I never got a dime, ever, ever. My mother used to give me her whole paycheck and say, this is for the boys. And that's how we were able to survive. If it wasn't for moms, I would not be able to do it. Shout out to Mrs. Martinez. You know, um, why do you think, really, it's the connoisseur that has to, like, seek out these early writers, this early graffiti uh, art? Why do you think the public isn't sort of obsessed with 1970s early graffiti works? What's the or book? the American public. What is, of, what is the American public obsessed with? Let's say they're obsessed with fucking cause. Who? Or cause. They don't know who causes. American he, public. Who? What is it the American public, what are they enthralled by? Uh, the, the, Trump? Yeah, Trump and the Kardashians. True. Thank you. Okay, so they're That's not a, really interested in art, right, basically, at right, all. Right. Money laundering, you can talk about, <laughs> you can talk about how... Money launderers are interested in artists, graph artists, that they can easily take money out of Japan and bring it into Europe or into the United States or vice versa from Europe I mean, into the, the whole States. art business is money laundering and it's all Correct. inflating prices and Correct. Uh, creating equity where there is none perceived value and, you know, yeah. it's business. It's not, you know, for the you know, the love of the culture. It's, no, you know, to make, to make money. Let's say the upper echelon of the public that is interested in art, they're very interested in consumerism. The hundred people is what we call them. In the, in the art world, it's called the hundred people. It gets published every year in art news. Okay, a hundred people. All right, there's a hundred people, of which five are buying contemporary art. I think the highest was 20. Okay. So the 20 people essentially control the art world. None of them own graph. Not a single piece. Why do you think that is? Because it's, it's hard to, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to justify. First, they don't have the pedigree. Okay. Right? They didn't come, right. they're not, they didn't come from the bourgeoisies. From 1950 up. So really, Dashno would have been the only graffiti artist to sort of like, Go Correct. into that realm. Correct. And then he died. Correct. You know, so young. Correct. And that he had like the pedigree, the, the lineage, the story, the wildness. He, he was that guy. And he had a source of information that he would, he would be able to get it from. Right. Because Irsnot was a major influence on his work. Of course. And Seaman. I would say, like, I, se- I, I didn't know that. Oh, I, I feel like yeah. Seaman se- um, had such a huge effect on Dash and um, it, musically, for fashion, sort of Dash changed so much after I, meeting. I, never, I was never impressed by his work. Simon? Uh, uh, Dash. Yeah. Oh, Dash. I was never, not a big Dash fan. Here's not, yes. Yeah, your snot's your snot's incredible. Yeah, he's a great, great um, artist. Dash, um, you know, he was testing and he was proving, test and prove, yeah. like, you know, because he also in graffiti, like, you know, this 
incredibly rich uh society kid is coming and you know slumming it with yeah but, uh, i know it's but that's the it's a bit boring is it a bit boring for it's, me it is yeah it's like kids the movie kids it's, it is the movie kids it's the same <laughs> shit okay i got it no so rich kids are fucked up too okay i got it yeah but well not. there's i mean I would say uh, it's not the same thing. My walking into Frantuzzi's house, the mother is sleeping is on the bed with his twelve-year-old sister next to her, and the mother turns around and, and the the daughter turns to the mother and says, "Mommy," and she gives it, takes out a bag of heroin, and gives her a, a, a shot in each nose, in each nostril. Not the same thing. It's not the same fucking thing. If you can be out of jail the next day, it's not the same thing true but you're still expending eh. uh, the energy there's perils he did a lot eh. a lot of okay. illegal graffiti writing dash i'm sure he did but i'm not sure how illegal it was if your parents can get you out of jail the next day i'm not sure how illegal it is so what are your relationships? Okay, so we were talking about wall writers and the the movie and where they they were you know saying disparaging things about you. They meaning some meaning, some, not meaning all. specifically specifically five, five right specifically five people. Right. Uh, who, were, who were put and, in center stage right. because and you, of their but, and you didn't want to give a counterpoint at all? No. Because it's a piece of shit. The movie's a piece of shit. The exhibition was a piece of shit. What am I going to get involved in that stuff for? Okay. It's like it's a sinking ship, yo. Let it sink. But don't you? Wouldn't you like to sort of cast uh, a light on that particular time, your involvement, and sort of set the record straight? I, I work with my own applause. Okay. So why do you why do you think the early graffiti stuff is not valued at the same uh, in in the same way that sort of these newer more contemporary graffiti for, artists first, are first by whom second when you go to Europe that's all they want they that's want all the they oh, want. They, right right they, they want and, the, the and, originals because they're into history and into because the shit is bad that's why yeah and, it... and they also love the 90s stuff okay because also there was a kind of more of a there wasn't instagram and there wasn't all this there was a direct relationship between the work the environment and your audience it's the last of it by the time the 2000s came along they had a whole compendium of shit that they had to deal with you know and now it's like you know people pick spots the social media spots how come everybody's pick, picks the Lower East Side and Brooklyn? Because everybody goes to the Lower East Side. But not like what it, is everybody? Well, it's, it's uh, you know what? Like I used to say, because I used to really, like, especially even in the 90s, I painted in the Lower East Side. Yeah. I was like the king of the East Village or, and downtown. Well, that's a mistake. Because. The, the whole rest of the city. Was, I, I did the whole rest of the okay. city, just so you know. <laughs> but I felt like. Everybody from all walks of life came downtown. Not everybody went uptown. It was and a that, focal And that place. right there, you went shopping there, you went out to, uh, you know, nightlife, whatever. You know, people wanted to come downtown to go to Pearl Paint or go where, wherever, right? 
So in my mind, especially a young 20-something-year-old, I was like, everyone comes downtown. Not everybody goes to Queens. Not everybody goes to Brooklyn. Now they all go to Brooklyn because Whoa, that's like wait, that's the nightlife. Wait a minute, wait. That's the nightlife. No, this, this is there's a look. I I was mostly raised in Manhattan. I know what how arrogant we can be about sure. Manhattan is the center of the universe. It is because it is fine. <laughs> However, when you everybody means like nobody. Come on, it was like a group of people. Yeah, but you went out to Queens. There was Queens was bombed. Brooklyn was. Bomb. Bombed, and there's there's also you know it's very geographic. Some you know Queens writers didn't leave Queens, and I, I would I would say Queens, any one of the boroughs was bombed much more than Manhattan. Well, also the they 90s. were buffing Manhattan faster than they mm. were. I don't know. Queens w- went through this whole like crazy the like cleanup thing, and, and yeah. but the Bronx it was they were everywhere, everywhere. Uh, I remember not seeing shit in the Heights. Even right. though the Heights at the beginning was everything, right. in the 90s, you didn't really see that much in the Heights at right. all. Until, like, I guess, I don't know. There was some, but not. It wasn't like the Bronx was murdered. Because it also was a territorial neighborhood. You walked in that neighborhood. You were not from that neighborhood. You knew it. You Where? felt, in the Heights, the you Heights? felt like your hackles right? go up, like people are watching you and... Like if you're not from here and you write, they're chasing you out. You know. I think it's it was is also it was a higher economic class. Dominicans people think that Dominicans are you know like no Dominicans have a kind of a middle class mentality. You know the ones that came they want to they want want to own a home in Jersey. It's it's a different kind of mentality. It's hard. It's the Ricans were just fucked up back in the. In the seventies, but not anymore. Don't up. you see Puerto Ricans They're on the come up? Dead. Mm. You know, I yeah. I was in Williamsburg or someplace Prospect Heights, and I I saw two old Ricans sitting on a on a stoop, and I said, "Where is everybody?" You know, and the guy, one of them, he pointed at the phone booth. Oh, the jail. He's he's saying they call. You know, they're they in call, jail. Right. They're in jail. So it was different. Anyway. Where were we? We were talking about 90s graffiti and talking about... Uh, how much they were appreciated. Yeah. And how... And, well, you know, it's... When I was writing graffiti in the in the late 80s and early 90s, I didn't really care to know about, like, the history as much as I care now about, like, the really, you know... And I was mentored by um you know the RTW guys and um they basically were just like it's over girl it's over the subways are over graffiti's over it's a wrap and who everybody who, who was, <laughs> every every who was in RTW um well i'm i'm Zephyr, this wasn't a Zephyr quote, but this was the general thing that people were trying to tell me. Like, you didn't paint on subways. You are irrelevant. Graffiti's over. It's over. Oh, that that was like an 80s stance, right? Right. That was like a late 80s, right? Like 89, the last subway, last graffiti subway ran, and then that was it. But In May, rap, it was rap done. started on the street. Didn't of course, graf- oh, right, graffiti started on the street, but yeah. then it shifted to the subways. And so when we were bombing, 
back in the early 90s, we were feeling like this was the first wave of street bombing. Little did I know that graffiti started on the walls. Or that I, I think Vifer was painting in the 80s, right? He was doing sure, sure. He was doing street stuff in the eighties. Sure, no people and were o, doing people. Oh, we right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and Jaws and Easy uh, and and uh, they were keeping it. Yeah. They were they were you know the those Jaws gates were everywhere. Like, but I actually prefer it on the street. I, I prefer it on the street. There's more nuances, variants, shadows. It's. I mean, uh, I, I love some of the the stuff on trains, but it's. It also is sort of like signifies like, you know, it's like a like meet me on that corner, you know, right by there. Yeah. You know, it's it's yeah. sort of like is a street sign in some weird way. But um it was like we're the first wave of street bombing, but it was really the the It was in the, But was with throw-ups, with using using moving away from the tag, now the throw-up oh. becomes more important than, mm-hmm. um, you know, the tag. Not not really. The tag is still the most important, but the throw-up sort of uh, was like the animated tag or like the, you know, it was the art um, expression, sort of. It was art bleeding into it. Well, in in a I, in I a would, in a, would, in a heavier would, way. I would say it was Hanna Barbera. Okay. Right? Like it was like cartoonish. All of the Well look at my graffiti. It's completely yeah, yeah, yeah. cartoon. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it became yeah, animated in a way. And it covered more space, larger, faster. So the it yeah, you guys yeah, your generation really took that to a a totally different level. But they like there are some cherry picked in that group that are sort of in the upper deck. What's of, cherry picked? The cherry picked artists that are the ones that are who, showing who them? uh whoever. Okay. The curators of culture. The gallerists. The what gallerists? I don't know. It's like, like Barry some, McGee and Espo and Cause I and don't, I don't know how, how much they've been picked if they're not in those those major collections they've been picked on a certain level i don't know how much they're selling anymore i i see a lot of hoopla and bullshit you know and and the not only from the artists but from artists that want to believe that you know how many times I was, oh this guy's so successful to make your money as a living artist it's, is almost impossible come on and then the bullshit around it like to dress a certain way to act a certain Hobnob way to look to, successful and to fucking kiss up to these fucking rich and assholes and to look successful when you're not you know if you sell a painting oh, I sold twenty thousand dollars and then I sold the thirty and then I sold the twenty and I had it all and half of that is the gallery oh, so let me see over the last. Ten years, you made a hundred thousand, hundred and fifty thousand. Was that work out to like seventy-five cents an hour or some shit? And you're you're the most successful. No, 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 no. Thirteen million, thirteen million dollars for that in Japan, and the top twenty guys and the top twenty collectors are not buying it. You know, there's something funny about that shit. And it goes to Japan, then it gets sold by somebody who doesn't know anything about art, and then the boss. It's it's a it's not the same thing as the rest of the art world works 
So where does graffiti's future lie? Like, where, where do you, or where would you like it to go? Certainly not beyond the streets. I would not put it beyond the streets. I would like it to go, you know, continue to be on the streets. I don't see anything beyond the streets. The streets are the most, you know. Beyond the yeah, streets. Yeah, like, you know. <laughs> I, I like working, I think what we're doing with the kids, um, I see that the artists really enjoy it. I see a, a change in the artists. I see the, I can see kids they, where they used to say, you know, used to scream at the door. At the, uh, that they didn't want to come in, they're going to get vaccinated. Right, they're going to get a shot. Now they cry because they're taking them out. Aww. I don't want to go. I, I, I want to paint with. I want to paint with adult. I want to paint with whatever, you know. So there's a major change there, and uh, yeah, like that. I don't see why these why these artists can't work on the highest level. I consider them as talented. As so, a, why do you think they can't? They were doing it with us. They're, you know, engaging. Uh, now we got Scuff is, is doing art therapy. He's going to get his master's in it, and he's working with the doctors who are working with high schools and getting kids with problems, uh, etc. And then that's spreading out to some of the other artists. Now we're doing a study on the impact of graph and. Um, and the marriage of graph and medicine to see how it affects the the health of the community, providing evidence that it does. Okay. So that's another. We got a grant for that. If we can prove that 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 has a measurable result, positive measurable. So result. are you going to make it graph specific, or are you going to just make it like a, the overarching graph. art? Graph. graph. Okay. Graph. Because don't you feel like that any sort of particular art form could sub in for graph? No. Does it have to be has just to be graph? graph? Yeah, for various reasons. Because? Well, because it's a movement. And as a movement, it's very well defined as opposed so that you can kind of keep track of it. It's, it's, it's almost fascist. Right? We know who the best is, second best, third best. Although in the art world, everybody knows that this Van Gogh is better than that Van Gogh. They say, oh, no, it's, it's really, they know. They know that a Van Gogh is better than a, a, a whatever. In anything. Yeah. Basically, he's yeah. the best. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, where were we? We were taught. We I was asking you why specifically graph. Like, couldn't you oh, just like oh, sub yeah. in well, like also cartoon the, art no, or you know? No, no, no. These guys are like you know they're all working class people. The, the community is working class people. There's more. There's so more of, of a connection, not right? Only, no, not only that, but they also think so far out of the box. You know, they don't have all of the all of the stigmas of having to paint figurative art or or conceptual or any of that they're kind of like you know they're you think it's more freeing absolute, to paint letter forms i think it's absolute, so rigid no, because you can't really get that loose it has to be legible you have to say that's an e whether, whether legi it's uh, legible sort of in 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 a, you know maybe a more like 
esoteric way. Yes, it has to be legible. It, an E needs to represent an E in some sort of form. Uh, then, you know, and, the, and I feel like it's not just this free, like, um, you know, creative space where you can just get busy. You have to. Uh, you got to judge it on a different level because it's you're dealing with the unconscious. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot closer to the unconscious than most abstract art. Okay. Because it's dealing with your perception of yourself. Right. And your reinvention of yourself. I mean, what were the impressionists trying to do? If not, try to show that the way an artist looks at something is more real than than the the reality of it. Right. And here you have as the talking about the artist, and now you got the artist conceiving of himself or herself. And how that's interpreted by the outside world. That's very abstract. That's very free. Much more free than figurative or abstract art. Hmm. How do, do you want to be remembered within this culture? Instigator. I just want to make stuff that's interesting. I want to see people interact together and create stuff that they would never so it's about do. community to you and well, bringing people together and and it's about i would have to say it's about dialectics getting opposing views and parties together to create something new so to bring in medicine and and graph or design and medicine design and graph graphic design and math at that, bringing in a black writer with a white writer, a white writer with a Puerto Rican writer, a Cuban writer with a with a Irish writer, all of those diametric, that's why balance is so important to me, or imbalance, the correct imbalance is so important to me. Okay. That's, that's why I never wanted to have favor one race or one denomination or one, none of that shit. I wanted more Jewish writers. Didn't have enough Jewish writers. Shout out to the Jewish writers, Holler at Hugo. He's he's looking for you. Um, <laughs> there's so many uh, Jewish graffiti writers. There's so later, many. Later there was. Later. Yeah. Right, maybe the, in the early. The early, I think, it was just Killer and Pistol. Kill, shout out to Killer and Pistol. My peeps. Those are my peeps. Um, well, I really thank you for this interview. And, and I thank you for... for really sticking it to the man and um, helping this culture get uh, more accepted day by day. And um, mm. I mean, you can look at the the global impact that graffiti has had and how it is this um, youth subculture that is in every corner of the world. Now, I don't know if it's a subculture. Do you think so? It's not. I mean, it is a subculture because it's not, it doesn't follow the rules of regular culture. Was rock and roll a subculture? Uh, rock and roll. At one point, I guess it was, and then, now not so much. Mm-hmm. Is hip hop a subculture? No, hip hop is culture. But isn't it? while to think now that New York City what the output of New York City has 
on the world. And the reason why we think Manhattan or New York City, the five boroughs, is the center of the universe, because it fucking is. Because I was just in Italy at a sneaker conference, and I'm like, they're literally copying New York street fashion. This is all from New York. This is not from California. This is not from Texas. This is not from Boston. This is some New York shit, and it's based off of hip-hop. Got to interject. Okay, let's hear. Mexico is killing. We got new styles coming out of Mexico in terms of graft. It's killing, which means... There's always graph first for, for me. Graph, okay. graph was before hip-hop. It's always the visual is the vision of what's going to happen. You know, I was with this group of Chicano, Los Angeles, Mexican graffiti writers in the early 2000s bringing graph to Mexico, going to like crazy places in Mexico and Mexico City, going bombing. They had never seen anything like it. And then I go back six months later, Boom. there's graffiti everywhere. Boom. Uh, Italy, also very powerful. Paris, Taiwan. This, it's like, there's all of these places that we know we've... But isn't it wild that all of this shit comes from New York? It's crazy. And that everybody is looking at New York to decide what is new, what is next, what is hip. Not in graph, not anymore. Well, no, not in graph, but it originated here. Yeah, it and, did. And, I was, you know... I was there. Right. And with what's going on globally, you can sit back and say, like, this is, this is from New York. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Same as hip-hop. Yes. And, uh, you know... The, the world owes uh, New York and um, minority kids a, a lot of uh, debt culturally, you know? Debt? That's interesting. Right? That's your Jewish side. Right? Well, that's the Jewish side of me. They're in debt. We're in debt to, the, to New York culturally. <laughs> Thank you so much. My pleasure. I really appreciate Take it. Take care. wild brad where he puts out these really old photos and they'll be up for a few hours and then he takes it down or whoever does it i'm not i see you gotta really i but i i really want to like talk to him about his instagram i can't believe i like i didn't because it's um 
I'm like, oh, let me go back and look at that picture he posted and it's gone. And then I'll be Ah. like, oh, there's only like two posts up. (laughs) So I'm curious what, what is the whole idea with that? Like catch me if you can, but you know, you can screen snap it. So now, you know, it's like the picture doesn't, um, remain yours anymore. It's like graffiti, man. It gets covered, gets covered over. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's true. You're right. His Instagram is like a metaphor for graffiti. Hello. That's right. It's up. It's up <laughs> while you catch it, and if you don't, it's gone. Yeah. Oh, tears, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> so what is that? What it is? Martinez. His Instagram is Martinez Gallery Ltd. Instagram, his website is martinezgallery.com and the address of the gallery that you can physically go to is 3332 Broadway, New York, New York, 10040. Way up there. Way uptown in Harlem. Ah, nice. Um, Fascinating, fascinating character. Yeah, go check all that stuff out. And it's definitely worth it, especially the Instagram. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I'm, and you know what else I forgot to ask him is like, what is he gonna do with all those photos? Like, what, where, where, are, where are they? Where are they? They disappeared, and where are they going? <laughs> are they going to the Guggenheim? Are they going to like, where are they? He's going? keeping going it, the, maybe they go to the museum. He's graffiti. keeping it so real that he destroys the photos after he takes them down from Instagram. That is, you know, as much as I could have a giggle with that, that is just goes like. Now graffiti has been relegated to a fucking photo. Right. It's like the wall is not important. The photo, the the square right. of your damn photo. Yeah, yeah, I know. Is the the whole value of it. It's so whack attack. Yeah, but yeah. But you still get the graffiti tourists. You see them. I used to see them in Brooklyn all the time at rubber tracks because that was, a, there's a couple of cool avenues over there were covered yeah that's i mean tours. that's like the motherland over yeah there yeah so for like street art graffiti tours people that really care they um don't. if anybody wants to hire me for a graffiti tour i'm walking again and it's about oh, a, thou- so a thousand awesome. bucks for an hour during- you, <laughs> do you have a mic one of those microphones that you wear on a backpack and hold in your hand can you help me out brad i need to start this business here we are and, uh, this is <laughs> So it's, you can't see it anymore, but I, I did this awesome piece here in 96. <laughs> Imagine I just took some to like all my old spots that are like clean. <laughs> and then just pulled out the photo. And see? then we're going to, okay, everybody, okay, now we're going to go to Beauty Bar and have a cocktail. Feel free to buy me a drink. <laughs> I need a double-decker bus. <laughs> we all. Um, yeah, 2020, man. That's my new, my new shit. Gold mines, graffiti tours. All right, we're going to set it up. We're going to make it happen. A thousand dollars per person. I'll go get the website <laughs> right now. But, uh, to keep up with Claw. To keep up with me, you know, I'm on all the socials at Claw Money, at Claw Co. We're making lots and lots of new fun stuff, um, which is which is great. And you want to keep up with Brad. Going off track. Goingofftrack.com. Soundwag. At Soundwag. Yeah. Brad, yeah. Brad's. Brad's. He's. I mean, I, I don't know if anybody noticed, but he's posting. <laughs> 2020. <laughs> there's my resolution. 2020. <laughs> um, shout out to Bubbles. As always, we love you. 
Hey, Cass. Allie, thanks for hooking up the sound. Allie, you're the best. For real. Steph, Allie, Tim. Tim. It's our posse. It's okay. Let's roll. Let's get it. Let's get it. Get it. Keep it real, 2020. Let's get it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. And to our audience, we love you. We'll see you soon. 